wise this morning, which is that if you're going to be here on a day like today, you've got to really want to be here. And so um, I hope you all are excited as I am for this message. Uh, my name is Logan Fry. Uh, my wife, Mackenzie, is the beautiful one assisting up here singing. Um, today we have <laughs> not the only beautiful one. Oh, my goodness. All right, all right. You won't see me in the parking lot for long. I'll be running to my truck. All right. Luke 18, 1 through 8 is our scripture for this morning. And he told them a parable to the effect that they had ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? Thank you, Logan. I'm glad I'm not the only one who accidentally says something they don't mean. (laughs) So uh, this fall, I think um, most of you know that I turned 40. Uh, 40 is a a big number to me. But, you know, the truth of the matter is I don't really feel much older than I did when I was 35. Uh, But 40 is a symbolic age where all of a sudden, 39, I wasn't really middle-aged, but now I am officially middle-aged. So people talk about this time of of being 40, 40 40-ish, 40-plus, as this time where we have a midlife crisis, right? Um, I got to tell you, that part I don't really relate to, midlife crisis crisis. But I do think that around this time in our lives, when we're around 40, when we've been in our careers for a long time, when things have been going a certain direction for a while, there is sometimes a level of dissatisfaction that emerges where we have these new epiphanies. Now, when I say new epiphanies, I don't mean brand new. I mean like we always heard this was true, but we figured it was for somebody else and then we've lived long enough to find out, no, it's not for somebody else, it's for me too. Uh, One of these ways is the idea here that work is cursed. So over the last few weeks, several months, even year, I've had several conversations with people about how uh, their careers have been tough, there's been hard spots in work, and it's just really a challenge. I know Elise has experienced this, my wife has experienced this in her job, And she said to me a couple of months ago that sentence, you know, I just have to remember that work is cursed. Now, anybody who's ever read their Bible knows that from the story of Adam and Eve, work is cursed. And and when she was 22 and fresh out of college and starting in her career, she would have said, yes, work is cursed. But now she's almost 40, and there's a difference. There's a difference between... Yes, I I appreciate the fact that work is cursed, and then going, no, let me tell you, work is cursed. Experience helps us relate to a truth that we know as a fact in a different way from our experience. Uh, Another example might be this. Um, I, I had many people when I was young and new in ministry, 25 or so, tell me, Ministry is going to be hard. It's going to say this. It's going to do this. You're going to experience that. And I distinctly remember in my naivety thinking, well, that might be true for you, but it's not for me. And like, I just want to go back in time and like grab my little cheeks and say, ha, you know, like, no, it's, it's true for you too. There is, there is, we can know something here But until we experience it, it just seems disconnected from our reality. Now you're thinking, Brandon, you're you're 
Logan just read for us the story of the persistent widow. Why on earth, why on earth are you going to all this trouble to talk about the difference between knowing something here and the knowledge that comes from experience? That has to do with the setting of the parable. The setting of the parable changes things. And I think for many of us, as we come to the parable of the persistent widow, we only process it in terms of our personal experience. And so as we come to the story of the persistent widow, we think of it about the importance of prayer. Guess what? You are exactly right. It is about the, story, the, the importance of prayer. I don't think you have to uh, talk to uh, any Christian for very long to understand. We all understand the value of prayer. I mean, there's been books and books written about it. We've done Bible study after Bible study here at Jefferson Avenue Baptist Church about prayer. But there is another reason that Jesus gave this parable, and that is that we should not lose heart. So today we're going we're gonna to pick up our, our, our moving through the book of Luke and how we just spent the last couple of weeks talking about the end times, talking about the first coming and the hope that we have with Jesus, and the second coming, that is the hope that we have in his second coming. And now we're going to pivot just a little as we look at the story that Jesus tells of the persistent widow. So I want to just begin by looking at chapter 18, verse 1. It says this, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, we could grab that sentence. We could grab that sentence and say, yes, I can affirm wholeheartedly we should always pray and not lose heart. Amen? I mean, this is like a foundational truth of what it means to walk with the Lord. We're going to always pray, and we're not going to lose heart. But why in God's Grace and mercy did he, through his Holy Spirit, inspire Luke to make sure that this parable was situated right next to Jesus' teaching on, on his first and second coming. And I think it has to do with this, this little part of the sentence right here, and not lose heart. There are many reasons we could lose heart. But what, the answer to the question why we should not Lose heart is going to change the way we interpret this passage. So I think that what we need to do today is look at the two applications of what it means to not lose heart. The first thing we're going to do today is look at the specific context. Why did the Holy Spirit inspire Luke to put this here? And we're going to look at that in terms of how it fits into Luke, how it fits into the greater New Testament, and then we're going to step way, 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 way back outside of the direct uh, setting of this particular parable and apply it more broadly to our lives. Uh, but we want to do it both ways. First thing we're going to do is how does the context reveal what it means to not lose heart? And then we're going to step back and apply it in a broader range as well. So let's go ahead and look. Why should we not lose heart? In the immediate context, what are the clues that we can see? Let's look at chapter 18, verse 3, and see what the widow asks for. So, Jesus tells this parable. There's an unrighteous judge, and there's a widow. And he begins to unpack the story for us in chapter 18, verse 3. He says, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Okay. So why should we not lose heart? Well, the short answer is, uh, as we look at this, at this widow in Jesus' uh, parable here, she has suffered something at the hand of an adversary. She has suffered something at the hand of an adversary. Now, what did she suffer? The immediate context really only hints at the cause. Uh, I think Jesus is vague here because he doesn't want us to get lost in the details. So in just a second, we're going to pull back and we're going to see the bigger context of Jesus' teaching, and it will shed more light on the circumstances uh, where we need to persevere in prayer and not lose heart. But I think the main point here 
is that she suffered. This woman suffered, and she had no means of recourse against the one who had wronged her. She'd suffered, and she was powerless to change the situation. She needs outside intervention from the judge to make things right. So we might lose heart because we suffer injustice and we are unable to do anything about it in our own strength. Now, when we get to the, the broader application of this passage, I, I think it might be helpful, helpful to see this in slightly different language. Okay, why might we lose heart? Because we experience something that feels extremely unfair and there's nothing we can do to fix it. Why might we lose heart? Because we experience something that is extremely unfair and there is nothing we can do to fix it. Now, when we pull back just a little bit and begin to set this parable in its broader context, we can see how it fits into chapter 17, where we've been for the last two weeks, and also into Luke chapter 21, where we're going to be in a few weeks. And we can pull back just a little bit more and see how it fits into the context of the greater New Testament. And what we see here is that Jesus is specifically talking about suffering injustice because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So what is the immediate context of this widow and, her, her, uh, and the parable here of her asking for justice from her adversary? This is in direct relation to suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. This is a response to persecution. So let's go ahead and look at chapter 17, and then we'll look at chapter 21. And I want you to see how these two passages actually fit together. So let's look at chapter 17, beginning in verse 22. It says, And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Okay, so we've talked about this over the last couple weeks. There are days coming when we will long to see the Son of Man. Now, this is an expression of our great need. We will find ourselves in a place where we need his help, where we need his peace, where we need his guidance, where we need his power. We will be in this place where we will say, Lord, help us. Help us. We need you. We will long for him. But as we talked about last week, when he returns... He will bring judgment on the wicked. Now, one of the reasons that we will long for uh, Jesus to return is that we will need him to rescue us from those wicked people whom he's coming to judge and bring justice on. We will find ourselves experiencing injustice and persecution, and we will long for the day of the Lord to return. Now, let's not blow past verse 25. I think this helps us. What does verse 25 say? It says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So what's going to happen to Jesus? Before he comes again, before the second coming, what's going to happen? He's going to be rejected, and he's going to suffer. Now, what does Jesus teach his disciples on the night he was betrayed in John chapter 15? He says this, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore 
the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. Now, I just think that's interesting that Jesus says, remember. Like, they're going to need to know this someday. So let's not lose track of the fact that sometimes Jesus tells us things that we don't need in this moment because we might need it in the future. So he says to them, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. So when we look back at Luke 17 and Jesus says, but he must first suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, and then we look at John chapter 15, what does that tell us is in store for his followers? Before he returns, what's going to happen to his followers? They're going to be rejected by their generation, and they're going to suffer many things. So when we look at Luke 17 and, and we see that we long for the days of the Son of Man and we see that it's in the context of Jesus' suffering, we should recognize that we long for Jesus' return because we are all suffering as well. I think John 15 makes it very clear that we're suffering because of our identity in Christ. Now, let's see how this continues to become more clear as we look back in the book of Luke, but this time we're going to turn forward to Luke 21. So I'm going to read a long passage from Luke 21. If you'd rather read it in your Bibles, go ahead. Luke 21, we're going to read 8 through 24. 8 through 24. It says, And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors, and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, we're going to get to chapter 21 in a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, okay? So I'm not diving too deep into that. We're, we're going to have to deal with this passage Again, but I want you to pick out some of the similarities between the language of 17 and 21 and have that in mind as we think about the parable of the persistent widow. So uh, chapter 21, verse 8, mirrors what we saw in chapter 17, verse 21 and 23, that people are, are going to tell you to look here and, and look there, but don't go after them. 
Do you see the, the, the parallel? It's there in both, both passages. I see a connection between chapter 21, verse 12, which is Jesus' warning of uh, persecution, and Jesus talking about the longing for the second coming that we see in 17, verse 22. These things are connected to each other. They will long for Jesus to come. The implication is he won't, at least not yet. They're, they're going to have to endure this. Okay, I think this, this longing for the Lord to come and I'm not coming yet describes persecution. We will want it to end, but we will have to bear it. We will want it to end, but we will have to bear it. You can look also at chapter 21, verse 18. Jesus says that uh, not a hair on their head will, be peri- will perish, which I think is funny because he also says, Uh, in verse 16, that many of them will be put to death, right? So what this means is this isn't actually about physical life and death. It's about eternal life, right? Even though they may die physically, there is a spiritual deliverance for all of eternity. This goes right along with what we saw uh, in chapter 17, verse 33. If you look at 17, verse 33, what does Jesus say? He says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life will keep it. So as this persecution is going on, we shouldn't think our our biggest goal should be to preserve our life. Our biggest goal should be carrying the name of Jesus. Our biggest goal should be that of persevering in our faith. Because how we lose our life may be the very way that we save it. Maybe not in this life, but in the age to come. Guys, this is actually a callback to something else that Jesus taught. We see this same idea taught, uh, I don't know, months ago when we were in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 22 through 24. Man, I think we did this before last summer, almost a year ago. It says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What do we see in verse 24? It's the same language. It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Do you see this? Following after Jesus means... Our, our physical life may be in peril, may be in jeopardy. But we're supposed to take up our cross daily and follow him. We may very well experience persecution. But whoever, what's it say? Whoever would save his life will lose it. If you do what you have to do to save your life, denying Jesus instead of denying yourself, you're going to lose your eternal life. But whoever loses this physical life for his sake will save it. Even though we may be put to death, not a hair on our head will be harmed. That's a funny thing to say. But that's our hope in Jesus Christ. That is what he is promising us. If we were to continue looking for examples of this idea here of being united with Christ and still experiencing suffering, there's a a story in in, uh, John chapter 21 after Peter had denied uh, Jesus three times. He's, Jesus is now risen from the dead, and he says to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep, all these things. At the end of that section, uh, Jesus tells Peter that when he's old, his life will be in somebody else's hands, leading him someplace he doesn't wish to go. And then John gives us a little uh, editor's note where he says, this is speaking of the death that he was to experience. Peter dying a martyr's death. After Jesus restored him from his denial, he tells him he's still going to suffer and die for his faith. Persecution is a reality for many Christians in our world today. But they're so far away from us in a setting that's so different from what we experience, we have a hard time relating to it. 
which is why I told you guys that example at the beginning of the message. This idea that me, as a 40-year-old who's experienced life more than I had when I was 25, like my 25-year-old self can acknowledge the things that work is cursed or that ministry has its challenges, can acknowledge these, these things to be true, but there's something that experience offers that says, I just see it different than you do because I've been there. I've been there. What I want you guys to see is those who've experienced suffering, those who know what it is to be persecuted, may find a different level of comfort in these verses than we can today. I want you to see something from Revelation. Revelation chapter 6. The end is coming. The end is coming. And God's judgment is being poured out on the earth. And we have this in the middle of the seals in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Just put your finger there in verse 10. Does that not sound exactly like what the widow is saying in Luke chapter 18? Lord, when will you give me justice over my adversary? You know what's interesting about this word justice in its original language? Guess what it can also be translated as. It is the same word behind the word avenge in Revelation 6.10. It's the same word. The word justice, vengeance, and avenge are all tied together in the original language. And if we read Greek, we would recognize this immediately as we read from Luke chapter 18 and now in Revelation 6. We see here they're crying out. I think some of your Bibles might even say, grant me uh, vengeance against my adversary in Luke chapter 18. We clean it up by saying justice. She is powerless. She's experiencing oppression that is unjust. And she calls out to the Lord, bring me justice. Avenge this wrong that has come against me. What do we see in Revelation chapter 6? Those who have been martyred for the faith are under the altar, which is a sign there of what they've experienced as they've given their life as a sacrifice to the Lord. They cried out with a loud voice, voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. You see the white robe part and you go, all right, here it comes. Yay, good news. Wait, wait a little longer. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they had been themselves, as they as they had themselves had been. What? Wait a second. Wait a second. Jesus, this is wrong, right? What's that say? Let's look at it again. These people—they're crying out for God's vengeance, and the Lord says. Wait, more have to die. More have to suffer. That is odd, is it not? What does that tell us about what's promised for us? Goodness gracious, guys, you want to see my hair stick up on the back of my neck and my, my claws come out, start talking to me about how when people follow Jesus, only good things come. What we're told here is as we follow Jesus, we, we may very well experience suffering because of it. Hard things because of it. And there's this message out there that's garbage that says if you follow Jesus, only 
these wonderful blessings of riches and wealth and health come your way. And that is not what we see here. We see a promise of persecution as a possibility for those who follow Jesus. Now, by his grace and mercy, there have been generations that have not known this level of suffering. And, man, I'm praying that that's true for me because I am weak. I'm praying that for my children because I don't want them to experience this, what Jesus described in Luke 21. Woe to you nursing mothers and those who are pregnant. I mean, goodness, you're going to be running for your lives. It's going to be awful. That's what he says. So let's start putting this together. Let's, let's see how this works. The thing that I want you to see here is because our experience in our little bubble here where we don't know real suffering, we don't really know what it is to call out for vengeance. We don't really know what it is to demand justice. I said this behind closed doors a couple times as I've discussed these passages. I think for us today, we probably relate more to the oppressor than the oppressed. And so this is hard for us. We find ourselves wanting to defend the world and say, well, I mean, that's a little harsh, don't you think? I mean, calling out for vengeance and stuff. I just think that's because we don't know what it is to be oppressed. And so we, we like our nice, soft world, and so we find ourselves defending those who also like it soft and cushy. But if we found ourselves in true suffering and true oppression, we might find ourselves relating more to these calls for vengeance. Let's look at how Paul describes this in the opening of his letter in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 12. It says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. So how is the Lord presented in our parable? A judge. The, the righteous judge. We have an unrighteous judge and a righteous judge. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also, what church say the word? Suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay affliction, those who afflict you, Since indeed God considers it just to repay, repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. What's it talking about? Final judgment, right? Verse 8, in flaming fire, not just fire, flaming fire. Um, inflicting vengeance. Guess what? Same word, same word, same word. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because, of our, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, and I like it. Here, we're going to see that callback now to the language we see in Luke 18. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. I love this, right? Because in the same setting, the same type of discussion, this idea here of the people experiencing suffering, experiencing persecution, what does Paul say at the end here? He says, to this end we always pray. And what, what's the, the point of the persistent widow? That she is always praying. She is always going to the judge. Right? Always. And what did we learn in verse 1? What's it say in Luke 18, verse 1? And he told them, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always pray and not lose heart. Not lose heart. How does Paul describe not losing heart in first, uh, or sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1? He says this, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. What he's saying is, as you're experiencing all this suffering, continue to pray that you might live worthy of the calling that you have. 
This is a challenge to not lose heart, to persevere in the faith. Guys, there, this is, I, I need you to hear me right here. This is it. This is the point. This is the moment, okay? When we are experiencing hard times, when we are experiencing suffering, when hard things are coming our way, what is the temptation? Where is God? He must not be here. God would surely not be with, must not exist, or he would be with me as I'm going through this hard time. And before we ever experience the suffering, we are told repeatedly throughout Scripture, he's there, he's there, he's there. He may feel far away. You may find yourself like that widow going again and again and again. Give me justice over my adversary. Give me justice over my adversary. Give me justice over my adversary. You may find yourself dead as a martyr under the altar, crying out to the Lord, give us justice over our adversary. And his promise is, I will. Not yet. We need to know this ahead of time. We need to know this ahead of time so that when the suffering comes, we don't think it's a sign that the Lord is not with us. Paul would tell you it's a sign that he is. Jesus would tell you it's a sign that he is. What great thing it is to suffer for the name of Jesus. What an honor it is to be afflicted because of the name of Jesus. What an opportunity to gain your life by losing it. This is the setting. This is the framework for the parable of the persistent widow. Life may not go exactly as you dreamed. Hardship may come your way, not in spite of following Jesus, but because of it. Are you going to be persistent? Are you going to be persistent? Keep going to the Lord in prayer. Over and over and over. Let's look at the parable again with this in our mind. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That's the end of the parable. And Jesus then goes on to address his followers with this teaching. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And what do you say? I'm just done with this, so we'll give her what she wants. We have this contrast now. An unrighteous judge will give her what she wants now a contrast to a good God. And will not God give justice to his elect, those who follow him, who cry to him, how? Day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Man, that last sentence is so tough. That last sentence is so tough. Will he find faith? faith on the earth. What's Jesus challenging them with? Do you believe that my justice will come even when you don't see it? Do you trust me in the midst of your trial and in your suffering? When I come back, will you be expecting it? Will you be looking forward to it? Will you be longing for it as it's the deliverance that you've been wanting so badly? Will I find such faith on the earth? God will grant you justice. 
continue to cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over you? What do we read in 2 Peter? He is not slow as some understand slowness, but he's patient. Man, the delay in justice is an act of mercy. And are we not called to be people of mercy? Mercy and grace to others, to extend to others the love that we've been given, to extend to others the grace and mercy we've been given. And by being patient and experiencing this suffering and God waiting to come with his judgment and justice, our suffering gets to be an expression of participating in God's grace and mercy. Because the second God returns in all his judgment and justice, the time for mercy is over. But as we suffer, as Christ suffered, as we are united with him in his suffering, God's patience endures that others might come to repentance. What an opportunity for our suffering to have meaning, to have value. Man, that is a powerful, powerful thing. We can call out to him because he is a God who knows how to give good gifts. And what that means is the gift he gives is the good gift. We read this several months ago in Luke chapter 11. I like going back to Luke because I, man, we just compartmentalize it. I mean, it's going to take us two years to get through the book. We compartmentalize it so much, we miss how it's woven together. I want you to see what Jesus already taught his disciples in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 12. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? And if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He knows how to give good gifts. And as we experience suffering, the gift he may give us is perseverance. It may be patience. It may be long-suffering so that we do not lose heart. He is a God who knows how to give good gifts. What Jesus tells us in Luke 18, in the parable of the persistent widow, is that even if it feels like we will never receive justice over our adversary, we should just keep coming to God. And guys, this is different from that loud, repetitive rambling that Jesus condemns in Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. This idea here of the persistent widow is about need and dependence. She is unable to get justice for herself. She is needy and she is dependent. She needs the judge. That's where we should be as followers of Jesus Christ. Needy and dependent. And what's cool is, as we move through the rest of Luke chapter 18, we're going to see the value. We're going to see the value of dependence on the Lord and the condemnation of the kind of self-pride that, that we think we can be independent from him. Because at the end of the day, we are all these persistent, wi persistent widows who are powerless to get the justice that we think we need on our own apart from him. We find ourselves in a position of complete dependence. And one day, his justice will come. Because I read from Revelation chapter 6, I didn't feel like I could move toward our closing and final application without reading from Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1 and 2 says this. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Think about our widow. She has no power. Where does the power belong? To our Lord. For his judgment, his judgments are just, true and just. 
For he has judged the great prostitute, and she's a symbol of corruption on earth, who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has what? Avenged. Same word, guys. Same word. Avenged on her the blood of his servants. These are the ones under the altar. They've been avenged. What do we see? He answers the prayer. He answers the prayer, and they are rejoicing because God has answered the prayer. He meets the need. He cares for those who are oppressed. Man, I I love that we get to see this. You see in 6, wait, more have to die? And then you see in 19, God will bring his justice. We serve a God who is just. Amen? That is a a good thing. Hopefully we find ourselves identifying more with those under the altar than we do with those who are receiving the judgment. It It is a good thing for God's justice to come. Now listen, as I, as I work through this message, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. After three weeks of talking about judgment and God's justice and his wrath being poured out, I, I kind of got tired of it. I mean, honestly, it's rough, and you guys have had to come in here and listen to it. But the thing that we have to understand is that Jesus gives us a warning that following him won't be all cream puffs and roses. There could very well be extremely hard times ahead for his follower of it for his followers. But he wants us to know in advance so that we know that things aren't out of his control. If he tells us beforehand, he's not surprised. If he tells us it's going to end, we don't have to be worried that, it, that, that it, he won't have his justice in the end. We can persevere. We can endure. We don't have to lose heart because he's with us and he wins. Amen? We can persevere. We can endure. We don't have to lose heart because he is with us and he wins. Now, I I talked about how there was the immediate context of persecution, how that's the real driving force here. But the fact of the matter is, I think we all, maybe we cannot relate to the idea of suffering for the gospel, but we can all relate to suffering. I think all of us have experienced suffering And as we talked about this last week, and as we looked at Revelation chapter 21, something is very true. It says in Revelation 21, which we read, that there will be no more pain, no more mourning, no more tears, for the old order of things passes away. So, as much as this passage is specifically about enduring for the name of Jesus Christ in our persecution for his name, There is the other aspect that we know suffering. And we can take anything to him, just like this persistent widow did. Listen, I don't know what you guys are going through, what you have felt, what you've experienced, but I have a feeling we have all been tempted to lose heart at some time, some point or another, because of the suffering we have faced. And the thing that we can see from this persistent widow is that no matter the source of the suffering, we can come to Jesus with it. And we should come to Jesus with it. And we should come to him consistently depending on him. And what this tells us as we look at the the greater picture of how Christians may experience pain and suffering is we may not be delivered from this suffering in our life. It may be that we're not delivered from this suffering until we come to glory. But we will be delivered, amen? So as we close and we move into this time of response, how do we respond? Well, the first thing I want to challenge you with is this. How often do we stop to pray, Lord, if our country turns upside down, if we lose our religious liberties... Will I endure? We're already beginning to see the cultural tide turn where uh, Christians are no longer given the benefit of the doubt. Okay, we're now kind of, we're moving to the periphery, to the edge, out of the realm of power and popularity, off to the side, like the church was for so long, right? As we experience the marginalization of Christianity, 
Are we going to say, why, Lord, are we suffering this? Or are we going to endure? Are we going to persevere? We need to be resolved now as we experience a change in our cultural dynamics that our following of Jesus is not based on its convenience, but based on the fact that he is the Son of God. So we should begin to pray now, Lord, help me not lose heart if it becomes harder to follow you. But also, we may be experiencing suffering that's just because of sin and death and the corruption of this world. Are we taking those things to the Lord? So as we respond today, I just want you to think about this. Maybe you've been dealing with depression for a long time. That is a real reality. How do you take that to the Lord and say, Lord, help me not to lose heart as I face these dark days over and over again? Maybe you deal with chronic pain or a chronic illness. And some days it's so hard to get out of bed, you don't even know what to do because it just hurts so bad. And you think, where is God in this? How do you pray that the Lord would help you not to lose heart as you experience your suffering? Maybe your work really is cursed and you actually are in a terrible job that you dread going to every day. How do you lay that down before the Lord and say, help, help me not to lose heart as I experience this every day? How does the hardship you're experiencing help you to be more and more dependent on the Lord? That's my challenge to you as the praise team comes and we close in prayer today. Lord, we thank you and praise you for all you do. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. Lord, we thank you that you told us what could happen because we follow you so that we're not surprised when it does. We thank you, Lord, that you showed us how we ought to conduct ourselves in hard times as your followers. Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith, the faith to persevere, the faith to endure, so that when you come, you will find faith on the earth. Father, help us to endure suffering with joy, not because the suffering itself is pleasant, but because knowing you brings us such great joy that it keeps all things in perspective. Father, help us to always keep our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's in your name we pray, amen. As we sing these songs, and as our time of response, the altar's open. I don't know what the Lord is doing in your heart or how he's moving in, in your life, but whatever you need to do to, to respond to the Lord, don't be afraid to, to, to take this, the visible step of stepping out of your pew, doing something uncomfortable, to lay it down before the Lord in prayer. However the Lord is working, it's now time to respond.